morning. Have you ever had a good day? Uh, yesterday started out really good. We got up and uh, went for about a three million mile walk. <laughs> and uh, came home and did my Bible study. And then later that day, we went to watch my grandkids play soccer. The wind was blowing about 3,000 miles an hour. They really started off pretty good. And then uh, something got into my head, and my eyes, and my nose, and my lungs. So uh, you are listening. You're listening to the results of that wonderful day. But you know, we all have good days. We all have, in fact, you may have more than one good day. You may have several great days, and everything's just, you know, everything's coming up roses. And then all of a sudden, something happens. You ever have that? It's just going great, and then Murphy's Law comes into play in your life, and you wonder, you know, what did you do? Is there like divine retribution happening to you? you know, what did you do to deserve this? It makes you wonder as to what God is trying to show you. But I want to tell you something. Everything is, you just can't say, God, you did this. You know, there is a, there, there, there's another person at play over here, and he's called the devil. And, uh, you know, he wants, to, uh, he wants to sidetrack you. And he can do that physically, or he can do that emotionally or spiritually. Uh, he did that on a golf course for me Friday. Uh, that, was not, that was not a good day. But uh, anyway, I say all that because sometimes when you think everything is going wonderful, it's just wonderful, then something happens. And, and uh, there's like a, a trap has been set for you, and you've fallen right into it. Well, that's what's happening to Nehemiah in Nehemiah chapter 6. So if you would please take your Bibles and turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 6. He's having a good day. Uh, until his adversaries show up. Nehemiah chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Now when it was reported to Sanballat, Tobiah, to Geshem the Arab, and to the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall, and that no breach remained in it, although at this time I had not set up the doors and the gates, then Sanballat and Geshem sent a message to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Shepharim in the plain of Ono. But they were planning to harm me. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should I stop work while I, while I leave it and come down to you? They sent messengers to me four times in this manner. And I answered them in the same way. Then Sanballat sent his servant to me in the same manner in the fifth time with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, it is reported among the nations and to Geshmu, and Geshmu says that you, are, you and the Jews are planning to rebel. Therefore, you are rebuilding the wall and you are to be their king according to these reports. You have also appointed prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you. A king is in Judah. And now it will be reported to the king according to these reports. So come now, let us take counsel together. Then I sent a message to him saying, Such things as you are saying have not been done. 
but you are inventing them in your own mind. For all of them were trying to frighten us, thinking they will become discouraged with the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Let us pray. Father, we want to do a great work for you. So we pray with Nehemiah that you would strengthen our hands and our hearts and our minds and our resolve, Father, that we will not waver nor falter nor fail in that which you have assigned us to do. Father, as we, uh, as we carry on the work that you have uh, purposed for us, Father, as your church, as your people, Lord, may we do so knowing that there, there lies before us a a, a field that is, uh, that is full of snares and traps. Uh, Lord, it's a minefield of opposition. Let us be careful, Father, and teach us to be careful of where we set our next step. Lord, teach us that the wiles of Satan are there to throw us off course, to discourage, to defeat, uh, to diminish our forces. Lord, may we be a people of strong courage. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, you may have gone through a, a struggle, some difficult times. And then all of a sudden, for some reason, things begin to change. Things start looking brighter. You begin to realize that uh, things are beginning to look up. Things are running smoothly for a change. Goals are being met. Growth is being more and more realized. Spirits are up. Everybody's feeling good. Folks, when that happens, rather than clapping your hands and saying, yay, we did it, I want to give you a one word of warning. Beware. Our adversary has seen what's being done and has planned to sideline any progress, any progress that's been made by setting a trap in order to put a halt to any advances that we might have had. Paul tells us in Ephesians 6.11, Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Now, of course, you must realize that these schemes, these wiles of the devil are not physical but spiritual in nature. So it involves a, a healthy dose of discernment. It requires us to know our enemy as well as the enemy's playbook. You should note that the passage just quoted from Ephesians 6.11 uh, uses the word schemes. Comes from the Greek word methodium, means methods. Satan has a method he has a plan. He has got a plan for Hazelwood Baptist Church. Not only does he have a plan for Hazelwood Baptist Church, but he's got a plan for you. If he can discourage you, then he can get your neighbor discouraged, the person sitting next to you. If he can get a couple of you discouraged, maybe he can get four or five of you discouraged. If he can get four or five of us discouraged, maybe he can get a whole Sunday school group discouraged. And it goes on and on and on. And he begins to discourage the whole church. Because Satan uses... Satan uses any advancement we would have made. He uses people. He uses plans. 
He uses programs. He uses whatever in order to attain a goal that is his. And that goal is to discourage, to diminish, and depress you into just giving up. I hear that so often. Pastor, we just want to give up. I want to quit. I want to stop. I'm tired. You ever hear that? I'm tired of this. I want to stop. So, friends, listen. Satan has put together a method in which to stop any progress we might have had. So, as we look at our text this week in Nehemiah 6, we find a guy by the name of Samballot, and there's his, there's his friends with him, Tobiah and, and, uh, and Geshem, and they put together a scheme to get Nehemiah to stop any further progress on the wall. We read in verse 1, Come, let us meet together. Now, doesn't that sound wonderful? We want to reason together with you. You know, someone tells you, my friend, let's just sit down. Let's talk this over. Let's, let's come to an agreement. Let's come to a consensus. Folks, you know, I'm not saying that every consensus is bad. But if a consensus leads to compromise on a Christian faith, don't do it. Come, let us meet together. They thought that this would be the way they can get Nehemiah to think that they were coveting his friendship. That there could be a, a good and friendly understanding between them. Are, are you serious? Do you think that you could sit down with your adversary, your enemy, and, have, and, come, to a, and come to a good reasoning together? You know, the person that Jesus, Jesus says wants to steal and kill and destroy you, are you going to sit down with him and, and reason with him? Is that the person you want to reason with? So let's apply this to you and I today. Satan will use people, pride, success, progress, and yes, even friendships to be used as stumbling blocks in order to bring you down, in order to bring this church down. He will try to cause you to think this or that is the right way to go, and then he will close the trap on you. Listen to these words from, the, uh, from, from uh, Psalm chapter 55 and verse 11. He says, his speech was smoother than butter, but his heart was war. His words were softer than oil. Yet they were drawn swords. So a trap was set to ensnare Nehemiah. But Nehemiah knew his enemy. He knew his enemy so well that he, could, he concluded that they, all that they wanted to do was simply bring him to a place of harm. The apostle Peter writes, Your adversary, the devil, is seeking someone to devour. So let me ask you this question. Do you know your enemy? Peter calls him the adversary, the devil. A devil he is, but listen, friends, do you know his character? And that's the important thing. We may know that there is a devil. We may know that there is an, an enemy. But do you know what his character is like? Is this the person that you want to sit down with? 
Are you willing to, to, are you willing to, to, to soften your stand on Scripture so that you can spiritually meet with your enemy and, and soften your view? Say, you know what, maybe, maybe I'm being too conservative in my beliefs. Maybe I'm, being, maybe I'm just being too literal in what God says. Maybe I need to soften my approach. Maybe, maybe the devil's not as bad as God makes him out to look like in the Bible. Here's what the Bible says. He is a slanderer, an accuser. He seeks to defame, to bring false charge against you, to, spe- to, spend, to spread lies against us in such a way so that, uh, to do so maliciously and with hostility. Is this the person that you're willing to put your life down on a line for so that you can come and reason together with him. Oh, friend. Is the devil your adversary, your accuser? Is this the person that you could say, come, let us reason together? But look at verse 3. So I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. Why should I stop work and leave it and come down to you? This is a warning about falling for the devil's snare of distraction. Have you ever heard the saying? People say this all the time, but have you ever heard it? Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Why would you want to keep your enemy close to you? Like if he's got a gun in your head, you say, can you get a little closer, please? Why would you want to be close to the enemy? As if there was nothing else to think about in all this world that I would want to spend my time in doing coffee and donuts with the devil. I don't want to do that. Keeping your enemy close is the exact opposite, by the way. The opposite of what the Scripture teaches. You know, when you say, well, I'm going to use that as because that really sounds good, you know. Try to... Make friends with people. Be friendly. You know, tell some jokes with the devil. We read in James 4, 7. Here's what Scripture says. Scripture doesn't say, keep your friends close and, you, and the devil closer. Scripture says, James 4, 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now that makes more sense to me. Do you think for a moment that you can peacefully, peacefully coexist with your adversary? Do you think you can coexist in religious efforts with those who oppose the Word of God? I, 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 don't, know why, I don't know why we do this, but we think, you know what, we, we all have the same goal. Folks, their goal is hell. What do you mean we got the same goal? I, I picked up a religious track some, some time back. Picked up a religious track, and, and I will not tell you what church I was in, but I picked up a track. I hope it's never found in this track, in this church. But this track says, 
will people besides Christians go to heaven? And I'm thinking, well, this is an easy answer. And it says, yes, as long as you're sincere. I said, sincere. Th that's, that's the mark of Christianity, sincere. So here's a person that lives like the devil and worships trees. This is the person that's going to make it to glory. No wonder we have this belief that when somebody dies, that all of them go to heaven. You know, old, old Uncle John, he's looking down. I'm making this name up. This is, if that's your uncle, this is just coincidental. Old Uncle John is looking down at us. And Uncle John lived like the devil all of his life. What do you mean he's looking down? Please understand something. Take a stand on the Word of God. Don't deviate from it. Don't, don't side with people that say, let's coexist with all these different religions that don't know Jesus, don't believe in Jesus, don't think Jesus is sufficient or supreme or Jesus is necessary. Why are you wasting your time with this? Don't support their causes. God did not purpose to call you into his kingdom so that you can make friends with the uncircumcised of the heart. Now, I'm not talking about someone who holds a differing view in regards to their ideologies or philosophies or political persuasions. I'm not talking about those kinds of people. That's great. If they got a different philosophy than I do or ideology or political belief, that's wonderful. I don't care. What I'm speaking of is that there are some who seek to drag you away from the very foundations of biblical truth. Have nothing to do with it. And by the way, as believers, spend some time in your own personal studies and put down a list of what you believe to be the fundamental truths of the faith so that you say, this is where I stand. I will not move from these things. I have done this. Folks, we all need to do that. What will you stand and say, I will not be moved from this? Number one is the validity, the authority, the, the infallibility, the inerrancy of Scripture. Number one, all that you believe comes from the Word of God. Number one, the infallibility of Scripture. Number two, the Trinity, the God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Number three, that Jesus Christ is God, that He's deity. Four, the incarnation. Jesus came as the God-man into this world, the virgin birth. And then you have, after that, Jesus lived a sinless, perfect life. Jesus died a substitutionary death. He died on our behalf. Jesus was buried and resurrected on the third day. Jesus ascended into glory. Jesus is seated at the Father's right hand. Jesus is coming back again. And we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. Those are the fundamental, listen, those are the fundamental truths of Christianity. Deviate from that and you're wrong. I don't care what denomination you are, deviate from that and you're wrong. 
You need to hold those truths and say, I will not be moved from these things. And when somebody says, let's sit down, let's talk about these. If, some, if somebody comes up to you like one pastor didn't say, well, I think that we could debate the resurrection. There's nothing to debate. If Jesus has not risen from the dead, we're miserable. What do you mean debate it? You don't believe in the resurrection, you're hell bound. I'm not going to debate that with you. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 15. You say, oh, Pastor, you're being harsh. I'm not being harsh. I'm just telling you the truth. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 6, 15. I'm starting to lose my voice, aren't I? He says, what harmony has Christ with Belial? What harmony has Christ with the devil? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Your fellowship would be, ought to be with other brothers and sisters who say that Jesus Christ is Lord. So listen to these words. Psalm 119. You know, the Word of, the word of God is so precious, folks. So precious. It is, it is, the, it is the life that, the, the words of life that God has given us. Psalm 119, 103 through 105 says this, How sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. From your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. And then the verse that you all know, because it's a Bible school verse, it's a Sunday school verse. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. If God's word is a lamp and a light for you, instead of saying, I got to get close to my enemy, say, I got to get close to the truth. So in the midst of Nehemiah's plea to the Lord, as his enemies attempt to frighten and dissuade him from completing his task and building a wall, we got to get this guy to stop building this wall. He lifts up his heart to the Lord and cries out, oh God, Oh, God, strengthen my hands. So then Sanballat and Geshem attempt a different approach and a strategy. You know what? If, if plan A doesn't work, there's got to be a plan B. You know, if, if Satan can't get you with plan A, you know, his, his plans go from A to Z, folks. They don't just stop at A or B. But there's a different approach, a different strategy. And it's a strategy that people use all the time. You know what that strategy is? Innuendo. Innuendo. This is a purely a psychological attack. Make up a story. Make up a story. Put it in print. And the hearts and minds of the people will turn from the facts to believing fiction. How do we know that? If you read verses 5, 6, and 7, you could read. Samuel says, listen. It's being reported that uh, you guys are going to finish the wall. You're going to set up a new kingdom, that you're going to be the king. And the people say, hey, praise the Lord. Here's our new king. And you're going to rebel against the king of Persia. None of that's true. But you know what? Have you ever noticed this? It is hard to disprove a negative. Somebody makes up a story about you. I know, listen, because I've been there. Somebody makes up a story about you. Try to prove them wrong. 
try it. And the more, they, the more they spread it, the more they talk about it, the more believable it becomes. I wish they'd spread a story, you know, old Pat's really tall and good looking. <laughs> I've not heard that one yet, but I don't think it's going to get there either. But they make up, they make up a story. And, and, and how, how is Nehemiah going to prove to the king of Persia that this is just a made-up story? Because hundreds and hundreds of people say, oh, yeah, it's true. But wait, what does the Word of God tell us when it comes to the world bringing a false charge against you? What do you do when people say wrong things about you, evil things, malicious things? Here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 11. Blessed, blessed. Do you see that? Blessed. You may not feel blessed when it happens, but Jesus says, Blessed are you when people insult and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Are you aware, my friend, that you have an accuser? Revelation 12.10 says, The accuser accuses them, that is, accuses you, before God day and night. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 16, Peter says, And keep a good conscience, so that in the thing which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. So then you might say, Pastor, I don't know how much more I could put up with. People are saying things, and stuff is happening in my life. I don't know how much more I could put up with. I'm being beaten upon. I'm being pummeled by the enemy. My friend, listen. Do you know that Matthew 5.11 has another verse that goes with it? It's called Matthew 5.12. You know, sometimes we read... And we just stop. Don't stop. Read, read, read the whole, the whole context of the thing. Verse 12 of Matthew 5 says, after he says you're blessed, he says rejoice and be glad. Well, folks, if he says you're blessed and rejoice and be glad, you know, I don't think sometimes when things are going wrong that we feel like, we're blessed and we should rejoice and be glad. But that's what Jesus says. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in Missouri is great. Didn't say that. He says your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let me tell you what these verses tell me. You know, there, there's a lot of good news in these verses, and you ought to know them. That there is a day coming when God will say, you know, you had some real difficult days in your life. You really had a, you, 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 you stood your ground. You passed the test. That probation period of life that you had to go through, that you stood firm. You were found faithful. And then he says, 
Wait and see what I've got for you in glory. It is like John 14, when Jesus, the night he is betrayed, the night that he is betrayed, he gives us, he gives us speech to his disciples. It's like a football coach just before the big game. Man, he gives, he gives a, an up speech. Build them up. Excite them. Be enthusiastic. Inspire them. But Jesus gives this, this dialogue with them. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. He's about to be crucified. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places or mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Listen. It's wonderful. He says, I'm going to die, but it's wonderful. You're going to die. Folks, the chances of you dying are 100%. But it's wonderful. The chance of the enemy attacking you is 100%. But it's wonderful. Be glad and rejoice. Because i got a dwelling place for you. But he's got, listen, there's something else that this verse says for me. Those, those who falsely accuse you. Those who seek to maliciously attack and slander you. Those who, because of Christ, have aligned themselves with the hosts of hell. They think that they've got you defeated, depressed, and discouraged. God will say to them, you know what? I got something for you too. And it's nothing to rejoice and be glad about. Rejoice and be glad. When your enemy attacks you, when snares and traps are set for you, when methods are planned and promoted by Satan and his minions, God says, that's good. Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad. See, wait and see what I've got for you in eternity. Friends, we need to pray as Nehemiah did. Day by day, as he did battle with his accuser, oh God, oh God, strengthen my hands. In closing, I'm reminded, you know, when I do many of my sermons, I, I, I like to go through the 1950-something or other book of, of hymns. Uh, nothing newer than, in the, than the 1950s. But I like to go through those old hymns. You guys like you guys like the, some of those old hymns. I'm not saying that every new song is bad, but I like, you know, because that's part of my life. But I go through those, and uh, I got the old Baptist hymnal, that that maroon colored one, whatever it is. But I want to close by reading a stanza from one of the great hymns. Not not the first. You know, this is one of those songs they say, let's sing the first, second, and fourth verse. Well, this is the third verse that we never sang. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read for you. I won't sing it. I can hardly read it right now, but I'm, gonna sing. I'm not going to sing it for you, but I'm going to say it for you because I want you to hear what it has to say. The, hymn, the hymnist who wrote this song says, I want to live above the world, though Satan's darts at me are hurled. For faith has caught the joyful sound. 
the song of saints on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Isn't that wonderful? Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. I want to stay true. As many years as I have left, I want to stay true. I want to stay faithful. I don't want to compromise with the enemy. But I want to stand on higher ground with my Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day, Lord. Thank you, Lord, in spite of opposition, in spite of accusation, Father, that we have a God who walks triumphantly and victoriously in glory. Father, you are our advocate. You're our intercessor, our mediator. Jesus, you're our high priest. And we are secured and sealed permanently in you. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. My friend, I want to ask you today, do you know, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and your Savior? You cannot have the assurance of eternal life until you have the assurance that Jesus Christ is your Savior. 